All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here with Calvin. Hey. And we have uh, McKinnon on as a guest again. What's up? And today we're talking about, uh, this is one of my favorites. I know it's one of McKinnon's favorites. It uh, is. Yeah. And Calvin, I think you said you saw this for the first time. Yeah, I've been waiting a long time to watch this, so it's yeah, nice we're, to like, actually finally watch it. Yeah, we're doing an Edge of Tomorrow today, or Live, Die, Repeat, or uh, All You Need Is Kill, which is the source material. This goes by many names because it's very confusing how it was marketed. <laughs> Uh, so, McKinnon, what is your first impression of this movie? I have always loved this movie. I remember watching it years ago with my in-laws, and I just, I fell in love with it, and I didn't really know why, because I was stupid and I didn't know anything about movies yet. And now I understand that I just, I like the performances, I like the comedy in it, and I think it mixes well with action, just so much of this movie I enjoy. Yeah, right. No, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's schlocky, but it's it's all great action. I love it. Uh, Calvin? First time seeing it, what did you think of it? Yeah, I'd wanted to watch this for a long time uh, because the trailer really appealed to me. Like the song they used was really melancholic, which told me that the point of this action thriller was character driven and philosophically minded. And it is intelligent for an action thriller, but I was still left wanting more because there are big questions here and a lot of emotional depth to mine. Ultimately, it stops too short to become a true boundary breaking work of meditative art because they needed to wrap up the narrative so it's still just an action thriller with like wily coyote moments right okay <laughs> i knew you were gonna have some big first impression on it <laughs> about how it, it doesn't meet your expectations like conceptually and stuff like it, that it's philosophically not even that it, yeah it's not even like it it's not that it doesn't meet them it's that it teases them and then doesn't deliver yeah right meditative thriller is exactly what i expected you to say about <laughs> this the most calvin comment <laughs> most, you could have made yeah. <laughs> um i love this movie too uh i'm right there with mckinnon uh it's a concept that we're familiar with, you know, the whole like it's it's Groundhog Day, Happy Death Day's done it. Uh, there's that Hulu movie with Andy Samberg, Palm Springs, that's done it where you you live the same day over and over again. And so it's it's a familiar concept, but I like how this movie uses it to create like a different narrative, like a, like you said, like an a, an action like uh, comedy, I guess, uh, is a way to tell that uh, concept in a way I haven't seen before. I think it's intriguing. Uh, I think like you talked about the performances, I think Emily Blunt is awesome in this. Uh, I also really like tip my hat to the visual effects crew. Like the, uh, the practical effects are all awesome. There's a lot of like cool action set pieces that I think are really like done super well. It makes it like really visually awesome to watch. So I want to talk about how this movie was marketed. I mentioned at the beginning that it went by like two different names and I was surprised to find out that it was originally the director who wanted to call it live, die, repeat. And then it was basically the studio that was really pushing for it to be called Edge of Tomorrow. And it wasn't until after it was kind of bombing in the box office that they agreed to kind of rebrand how it was uh, how it was being marketed. So I think it's all very confusing that all like the all the DVDs came out with like big Live Die Repeat on it, and it's got very tiny like Edge of Tomorrow at the bottom. <laughs> I thought yeah. Live Die Repeat was just the the tagline. I didn't know that that was the title of the movie at one point. It, well, I think that's how they compromised, right? They right. decided like, yeah, that can be the tagline, but that's why he because he wanted it to be called that. I wonder why the studio was pushing so hard for one title over the other. Because Live Die Repeat sounds goofy as hell. Yeah, it sounds. <laughs> it? it sounds. I don't think it sounds good. I think it sounds so dumb for the concepts they're exploring here. Edge of Tomorrow is also dumb when yeah. you're talking about the concepts we're exploring here. But at least it gives you like that that big sense of adventure. Like I suppose I think Edge of Tomorrow also is a title that barely has anything to do with the film. Absolutely no, I absolutely agree with yeah. that. I can just see why the executives decided that they wanted their film to be named that. Yeah, versus like a movie like Groundhog Day, like. 
that has to do with the film because yeah. that's the day that's repeated. I think they wanted yeah. something that sounded like epic sci-fi, which is exactly this is supposed to be in like Edge of Tomorrow. It's like, like sounds like that, like Jingle All the Way. There's nothing to do with the movie. It's just a Christmas title. I love Jingle All the Way. It's a good movie, but the <laughs> Sorry, title doesn't that's matter. I can think of right now that movie's so good. Yeah. Turbo Man, oh, it's great. Ta ta, Turtle Man. <laughs> uh, so there is a sequel in the works it's been in like pre-production for a while now and it's called live die repeat and repeat which is also a crappy title uh and so i guess <laughs> once that movie officially comes out the like first movie will be officially retitled as live die repeat so eventually the director will have gotten his way um which is uh doug lyman directed this he's done uh, like swingers uh mr and mrs smith oh which was on fx like every day for every years day, yeah <laughs> and then he did jumper which is a Hayden Christensen movie that classic, oh I remember yeah, that classic film which yeah. is great and Hayden Christensen gets so much hate and that's because he's not any good in that uh, I like Joker <laughs> maybe I mean, it's just I, nostalgia I like, yeah I like the idea of it but I remember thinking like wow yeah he's really not yeah. any better as another character in another movie sound like a actor like a girl like I love the idea of Hayden Christensen I just don't love him <laughs> need to break up with him that's what every studio in Hollywood did because he is in no movies now yeah. Well, uh, he, I think he's going to be in that um, that Obi Wan prequel, right? Oh, that'd be cool. I think so. I've heard that. Well, he's also going to be in the sequel for the Fountain, right? I hope so. <laughs> he better be. <laughs> Everybody better be in the in the the Fountain sequel. Uh, it's going to be the Fountain repeat and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think of when I, it's like it, they might just call, well call it like. Uh, live die rinse repeat like just go full dumb with it <laughs> yeah exactly like, yeah really like really play it up yeah because I, I just i don't like that title while i don't like edge of tomorrow because it sounds like uh the day after tomorrow it sounds like some like uh, apocalyptic event which i essentially i guess is this movie mm-hmm. but it sounds like a, a force of nature event has happened the edge of tomorrow but anyways uh i want to move on to the look of this uh i guess if you want to go with like the aesthetic i like the uh like the vehicles and the armor and stuff like all the soldiers are still wearing like Kevlar helmets, which you would see today because the movie takes place in 2020. It's not like set far in the future where they've got these crazy suits and everyone's got this fancy armor and they're shooting laser guns and stuff. I like that it it feels a little advanced, but it also feels like it didn't take place way far out in the future. And I think that like builds to the realism of it. Uh, what do you guys think of like the creature design? Because I really like it. They're so cool. I like it. It used to freak me out how fast they are. I, I used to watch that movie and think, like, how, how would anyone kill one of those? They move way too fast. Yeah, I kind of I didn't like that because they moved so impressively fast that there was no way that you could actually, anyone would ever actually be able to kill these things. Oh, it'd be impossible, yeah. Yeah, so the fact that they can literally just, like, very slowly swing a giant sword, you know, very Japanese manga-esque. <laughs> yes. Like, it was, it, that part is kind of ridiculous to me. Like, you don't need to show that single, that single, there's just one of the, the small minions that just absolutely wrecks everybody. That is so unnecessary because just from there, I feel like this thing is so unwinnable. Um, but, you know, you could have just kept it, like, they move really fast, they somehow can shoot projectiles out of their bodies that just make missiles they just it's just cool <laughs> yeah exactly like that part is cool you just didn't need to make them like godlike yeah it's in that just, one shot did you it's like how they look fun. though calvin yeah i do like like it's kind of like i mean it's pretty much just trying to um build on transformers the idea of like sentient garbage yeah kind of <laughs> uh i also like it seems like when they move around or when they like they make like sounds and signal each other and just things projections just pop out of their body and I, I just i love the creature design i also love the sound of them it sounds like it's just like this low tone where you they always have like their mouths open especially like the alpha 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it looks like it should be roaring, but it's just like this rumble. And I think that's like a really interesting way because they could have gone over the top with the sound design. And I kind of like how they left it just kind of like a rumble. Makes them, the way they move and then the way they sound makes them so much more menacing than like. There's right, like an yeah. obvious way they could have gone and they went the other way. And they don't actually look what the what they did in uh, the uh, light novel. They're just like giant like blobs with like blocky teeth. And then they like shoot spikes out of them. Yeah, it's cool how they uh, how they describe them because I'm I'm the only one between the three of us who who read the novel. Yeah, which is good because I do want to move into like the source material. And so you did you like listen to an audio version of All You Need yep, Is Kill? I finished it right before coming over here, which is perfect, perfect timing. Yep. It's it, so the the aliens they're not actually they're not, for for spoiler alert they're not actually aliens. The aliens are on another planet and they sent this asteroid to Earth to terraform it. And these nanobots who are supposed to terraform they like fused with starfish underwater and then they started to populate and clone and that's where these mimics came from. They're actually like part jellyfish. Not jellyfish, sorry, starfish. I love that idea. Yeah. That might be something that they explore in the sequel because we we were kind of talking about that before we recorded and I was like, yeah, the aliens and you were telling me like, they're not aliens. Not aliens, no. Okay, well, I'm ready for you to explain that to me because they seem like aliens. It's really interesting because in the opening montage, they are showing news footage of all these things crashing from the the sky and it seems like it's just an asteroid or whatever because that's what they say in the movie. Like, oh, the asteroid, that the asteroids are probably thousands of them in the galaxy, right? But in the book it's like a like a spacecraft it like splits apart and part of it lands in the ship or part of it lands in the water rather i like i mean i like the idea of adapting it to like an asteroid that just got flung yeah out into space and it eventually landed on earth and caused this havoc it's really interesting like they don't focus much on the mimics that much like they could have been they could have been any kind of alien or whatever but they're they're just they're just creatures which i think is an interesting way to go yeah yeah, I, I would like to see that explored more in the sequel, Yeah, Wash, Rinse, Repeat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we can talk more about the characters now. I want to talk about uh, Tom Cruise, plays uh, Major Cage. Um, I have an interesting thought because I think it's miscast to put Tom Cruise in this. And we talked also about how this is a action comedy. My problem with it is it's like so... It starts out with Tom Cruise's character, who we all know is in a hundred action movies, and he's always the hero. So there's no, like, I'm just waiting for the point in the movie where he becomes badass hero, because I know that that is what Tom Cruise does. I would have liked someone like Adam Scott to be cast in this, uh, from, like, Parks and Rec. Um, he's in Krampus, which we're going to do a review on later. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think he, he would do a really good job of being, like, kind of the snarky, sarcastic guy who tells the general off, who's like, uh, I'm not going to go to war. I'm, like public relations so and he has enough like good charisma to pull off like a guy who's on camera yeah but also be like uh he has a like, great comedic timing so i think all the stuff he would have done with uh, sergeant farrell would have been really funny and then to see a guy who kind of looks like a nerd guy be forced to become like that hero and over time like become that guy i think would have played out uh, if you if it's going to be like a real action comedy i would have loved to see like someone like that in this role instead of tom cruise who we already know has been action hero a bunch of times. I wonder what you guys think of that casting. Do you like Tom Cruise in this or do you think it could have worked with someone else? I like Tom Cruise in this. Okay. I, li- I like, I like him a lot. Um, and I also don't think it matters who you cast in that role. Um, in terms of like our expectations for how the rest of the story is going to play out because we can tell by the funny goofiness of the tone, the fact that it's a big budget Hollywood movie that it's going to end well, like everything's going to work out. There's never really a question um, 
of how uh, this character is going to ultimately overcome his uh, obstacles because of the the structure of the narrative not because of the casting i think like i like the the like goofiness like the the kind of like it, it kind of like makes me think of like uh what you remember uh his character in tropic thunder oh yeah <laughs> i feel like that's like that's like him but like 20 years ago yeah like i'm just public relations man and he's not like angry and like yelling obscenities yet because he hasn't seen enough but that's basically like i just think of it as an extension of that type of uh tom cruise character I don't think he's bad in this by any means. I think he gives a, like, this is one of my favorite movies and I love Tom Cruise in it. I just, I think that role specifically, like that character to me suffers because it's not like a nerd guy in it. It's action hero Tom Cruise. So, so what do you think of that, McKenna? We all expect him to be the action hero at some point after he's lived the same day over and over. Are you saying that you have a hard time with him as a character before that point when he's playing like a coward who's never been in a fight before? Does that not sell for you? No, I'm fine with that. It's just, I... I already know he's going to become action hero at the end. If you cast someone who doesn't seem like an action hero sure. and then they become that, like that evolution of the character would impact me more. I guess so. I mean, we all know Iron Man's going to win by the end of the movie, but we're still invested in the movie to see the journey. I don't know because like, I like the metamorphosis that Tony Stark goes through because he's just like a playboy kind of douchebag. And then he kind of realizes the kind of like the right things he should be doing. Right. And there's that journey. But what I'm saying, but is I don't think, but when I think of Robert Downey Jr., I mm-hmm. don't think of big action star. I do now because he's done a hundred Iron Man movies. Sure. But originally I don't think from that way, which is why I think that character works. You're saying it's because Tom, Tom Cruise is a different, he's cast for different roles than um, Robert Downey Jr. is. Yeah. It's specifically okay. the casting is like why sure. I think it would, it would have been different. I so. think if, if, if who was the actor that you said from Parks and Rec? Adam, Adam Scott. Scott. If they cast him for the role and he did a good cowardly soldier, wouldn't he have a difficulty selling like an action hero by the end of the movie when he's lived the same day over and over? That's exactly the way I feel too. Uh, Cause you'd have the opposite problem. With yeah. Him. I actually find like it's it's easier to see someone who I've seen in all of these action roles be this cowardly, goofy guy getting his ass kicked by these machines in the beginning to see his metamorphosis as like, okay, that's believable to me. I would find it much harder to see Adam Scott, badass, like future warrior, future mech warrior. Um, that would be a lot harder for me to take, I think. I guess I just believe in him more than you guys do. I think I would he, have to I would have to cool. see him like, yeah, yeah, I would have to see yeah. it because, yeah, he, he certainly wasn't that in Krampus. And, uh, yeah, what was that other one he, he was does. in? He goes like, like I got to protect my flock. <laughs> He's great in that. I'm picturing it. I'm picturing him scowling in like the, the jacket that they wear when they go out to the beach to fight the mimics and stuff. And I, I can't, I can't imagine a serious moment with him as all. I just like the idea. And yeah. I think it plays I think a, he would do a good job at the comedic part. That's, you're, that's you're why right I think that, it would yeah. work. Yeah. And I think that's why Tom Cruise works so well is because he plays both of those very different tones at the same time. I think he does a good, a good job with the, with the comedic parts and his line delivery and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've talked about Cage. I want to talk about Emily Blunt's character, Rita. I love how she's introduced. Um, it's like Cage has been shot and uh, he's like, is it bad? Like, am I going to be okay? Is there a lot of blood? And she's just like, taking the battery out of his suit, like doesn't care what's going on with him. And I think that sets up her character perfectly because then we go on and she's just shooting Cage like every time he gets hurt from then on, like while they're training. I think Emily Blunt's great in this. Like this is probably the first movie I was like, oh man, I really want to see the stuff that she's in. So I have really strong feelings about her because they have that that exact same part in the book. And when the, the, the main character of the book gets shot in the chest, instead of her taking the battery and just leaving him to die, she stays by his side and waits for him to die. 
and then takes the battery because she doesn't want to leave him and she has more personality and like humanity in the book which i think is really good in the movie she has far less humanity i think yeah and it's also interesting thinking of her as like you know she's kind of like uh that neo-feminist uh badass but only badass in terms of like look at her she's awesome but she's really only there to help tom cruise so there's there's a limit to how much um how empowering that character is to women in general because it's still like she's just a stepping stone for him because this if this had been about verdun this is a very different movie and she's a very different character and that's pretty cool but instead it's really just her helping cage she's a supporting character but also a badass which is like a difficult line to balance yeah exactly and we just see her getting uh like killed over and over because uh he's not he's not taking care of her it kind of flips the idea of like how a you would traditionally tell this story is like she is like the hardened warrior who should be the hero of the movie and but we're following like the meek public relations guy who slowly learns to become the hero and you're right we talk about it like seeing her character die over and over again which is it it takes like kind of that that concept or the thing that we see all the time like the the badass hero but she's the one dying I, i kind of actually like the idea of well, I mean, it's the same thing in Avatar. It's the same thing in Fern Gully. It's the same thing in Dances with Wolves. We don't actually care about the the characters that it's about. It's about this person who is not equipped for the role they're in, being trained by someone and who is, and then how they overcome it. That's the problem I have with it. It's the it's the same sort of limiting um, narrative of of interesting characters for people that we find. Uh, for Tom Cruise. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> so would you say Emily Blunt is the teacher archetype or the damsel in distress archetype? That's so, it's really interesting that you say that because it's like, um, it's almost like it's uh, like it's both, you know? Mm-hmm. It's d- depending on like uh, uh, what part of the film they are. Like she, he's either the thing that, he, that, she's taking, that he's taking care of or she's the thing trying to teach him. Mm-hmm. But either way, they're subservient to his journey. Yeah, it kind of goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, do you guys want to talk about uh, Sergeant Farrell at all? I, I didn't realize it was Bill Paxton. I just love Bill Paxton in this. He's yeah. great. Uh, every line that he says. When we did the Avatar review for the commentary, I talked a lot about how much I quote that movie. <laughs> I quote this movie far more to my life. Oh, really? Oh, she, yeah. yeah. The Fiery Crucible, which all two <laughs> heroes are forged. I love him. Uh, I love, he's like, oh, you're in America. He's like, I'm from Kentucky. No, sir, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so good. He's a, he's a, a really nice bit of levity. And, yeah. and not that there's not enough comedic parts in this, but I do love that the movie just really takes its time to be like, Bill Paxton's funny, and we're just going to have him on screen being funny for a little Everything while. Everything he yeah. says is gold. It's amazing. And he only gets that one section. Like, if you think about the uh, the number of lines he has, it's just that one moment where he's leading him to the barracks. And then he's literally not in the movie at any other part of the, uh, um, the timeline. Yeah. Like he's on the beach and stuff, but he's not like, he's not like the, like the character that we care about anymore. He's just kind of there leading people and saying yeah. things. He gets a ton of screen time, but it's just saying like the same eight lines over yeah. and over. Yeah. I do like that leads into kind of my thoughts on the pace of this. Um, and how it does, it seems to, you, you'll get, a big like action set piece in the beginning where he's going to the beach over and over again, but he's not like very good yet. So he keeps dying. And then the movie kind of slows down and gets you kind of set up. Like, how are we really building the plot? And that's when you get a lot of Bill Paxton again. And you had him at the beginning as well, even though it's like, essentially it's the same scene playing over and over again, there's like subtle differences in it. And that's why I think this movie is paced out really well because you're not just reliving like literally the same moment over and over again. You're doing the same day, but it's like, 
the movie chooses to pick which part of it you're going to be watching for an extended period of time. And yeah. you can also tell that that first scene when he first gets in to meet J Squad, um, it was filmed multiple. Uh, it was filmed with multiple cameras um, and multiple times. Like you have different camera angles, you have different. Uh, uh, perspectives that we're looking at at the first one it's all from cage's perspective and the other ones you're you're starting to see all the other characters and the things that uh them looking at him and it's nice not because like uh oh what a great feat of uh filmmaking just most of the time it's very lazily done and everyone just reuses the same shot over and over and i hate that so for them to at least have taken the time to show this scene in different ways each time is um at least they understand like how how it will happen like each time will be different will feel different it certainly would get tired if it was literally the same like they just put the same scene in and use it over and over again and then had like a slightly different reaction to it over and over again right it would have been yeah it would have gotten really tired so i do like that every shot feels like it's it's a slightly different timeline you know Mm -hmm. but yeah i love how i love how funny this movie is um honestly one of my favorite parts is like when they're doing push-ups and uh, there's that truck coming and he's, yeah. and you can tell he's about to tr- try and roll away. And like, and then like he rolls into the truck and he goes, ah, <laughs> they're just like, oh, I had to cage. rewind that like three times last it's night. So it's funny. my favorite. It's like one of my favorite, favorite parts in the whole movie. Yeah. And that's what, what were be- you thinking private? Yeah. And that's so like my, the, what I mean by like the Wiley Coyote, like random goofy deaths of this character who's just always trying that part is so funny to me. Yeah. So there's some controversy surrounding that um, on how it works with the timeline of the movie. So there was a theory that like, okay, so every other time he dies, it's like immediately it starts the next day. That's the only time he dies. And uh, you, yeah, you get Bill Paxton being like, what were you thinking? And so it's like, oh, this must start a new timeline every time he dies. So there's a multiverse now in The Edge of Tomorrow. The explanation I have for that is like it just took him a couple minutes to die after he got run over, and then that immediately gets rid of that theory. So yeah, I don't think that yeah, the because no. if you do that, then there's a bunch of alternate universes where Emily Blunt is court martialed for shooting <laughs> yeah. Cage in the face yeah. during their training montage. Exactly. But, but how I, many multiverses do we win? Yeah. One. And I think that's the yeah exactly. And I think that's the that's the point too of like the the creature's power is that it literally is resetting. There's yeah. one timeline. Everything is being reset because otherwise, then that power doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. for for their, their their existence as a species. One of the other thing that kind of lends to that theory of it being multiverses is there's actually, uh, it's like a little Easter egg, but you can see Doctor Strange in the background uh, <laughs> going through all the different timelines to figure out which one works. <laughs> so... There's, that's why I say there's a lot of controversy surrounding that scene. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't recognize. I didn't see. <laughs> maybe Benedict Cumberbatch was in J Squad. <laughs> you know, I'm full of my fun facts. That's so stupid. That is, <laughs> that is my worst fake fun fact. Uh, but yeah, so as far as like how the story is told, I love how it has like a ebbs and flows. It has, I think, really good parts of action, and then it has. It definitely has parts of um, uh, just big bits of just explaining what's going on like when they meet uh that that professor who's been kind of like cast away to the dungeon and he's looking up like the right dam for them to go to there's definitely like exposition to this movie but i think it all moves along like really well and that's what i think what makes this like such a good movie even though it like like calvin has a problem that maybe it's not like really it's dipping its toe and telling a deeper story and it's not doing that 
I think it all still works because it's just paced out wonderfully. And I'm, I'm into this movie from start to finish. It's not that I don't think that it works. I think it absolutely works. But what I mean is that I think that there is depth that they could... We'll, we'll get into that more in a second. But um, yeah, there's just plenty of... Uh, of it's it's just an, it just wants to focus on being an action tr- action thriller with comedic bits um like another one of my favorite lines is actually like he's like you know is there like a way to to pass on the blood you know and he's like motions to, <laughs> oh it. oh you mean sex he like uh tried it and and he was like uh how many how, times, how many times? <laughs> she just hits the button <laughs> it's wonderful i i kind of wish the movie would have leaned into the comedy more because i think it's not as much like uh the director talks about it being an action comedy and i was like i mean there are funny parts in it but i i wouldn't call it an action comedy like outright i'd be like it's an action movie with some comedy in it but i don't think it's trying to be an action comedy really oh i think it is i think the number of times i laughed during that movie i would definitely call it an action comedy yeah okay so many of the deaths are just so goofy uh, like especially when they're like walking through the uh, um, like the timeline. Okay, then you go over the bunker, turn left, and like you can hear him narrating it. And all of a sudden, like she just gets run over. Like ah, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about kind of reliving these moments over and over again. I think one thing about the pace of the movie that works out really well is you feel like you're watching things as they're happening. Like we're following, you know, Kate. each day sequentially. Yes, and then all of a sudden it'll all of a sudden it feels like it jumps forward. Like he's like, I've done this a hundred times. It doesn't work if we do this. And you're like, oh, I think that's an interesting way for like this concept to still keep the viewer guessing, even though we know it's the same day over and over again. But all of a sudden it feels like it skips forward. And I I like kind of really like that, uh, that aspect of the movie. I think one of the ways it's maybe used the best is when uh, Cage and Rita Vertasky have gotten off the beach and they're in the car and he keeps bringing like, oh, your middle name is Rose. Or he, he talks about like uh, her brother. And I like to think of it, he's lived this day so many times that he's just kind of, he's just kind of throwing out stories. Like he's just making it up every time to see which one like she reacts to. Like eventually he'll figure out like the truth about her. And I really like like that little sequence in the car. I think it's like kind of a really, like gets to like the, the heart of the movie, you know? Yeah. And I absolutely agree because like that's the moment where, like other than like so he gets he, there's that one where he decides to take a day off and go to the the pub in London for like a day of reprieve from his despair which I thought was just interesting if you're gonna die you know may as well just go to the bar for once and then I'll, I'll go back the next day um but yeah driving with Rita and like explaining like how much he knows about her how one-sided the relationship is for him despite the fact that she knows what he's going through he's He's completely alone with his memories, and this is the heart of the movie that I was I was hoping they'd explore, like this idea that, um, like we're we're doing this over and over and again, that 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 human experience is memory. Do we even exist if we don't have memory? And then specifically to this film, how many lifetimes did he live? The weight of hundreds of thousands of tens of thousands of lives lived, of trial and error, hope and despair. And then it's just like a goofy death after that, or just like a death, and he starts over. And Bill Paxton's like the fiery crucible, and it it totally (laughs) changes in a way that I really wish they had leaned more into, like one deep monologue where just sign it like like in Jaws and Quint's speech about the uh, um, all of the sharks uh, eating all of the sailors um, after the uh, MacArthur crashes or is um, marooned or whatever, or it starts to sink just a moment like that where we really start to soak in like how much this character has gone through and like the weight of, of 
his existential death of day after day. Right. That would have been, it would have transcended uh, boundaries beyond, it would have been a great action thriller. It would have been a great, funny action thriller with an, an incredible amount of sadness and like real human experience here that they just don't, they don't care about. What do you think of that, McKinnon? I think that it might be out of place to have a deep scene like that in a movie like this. Yeah, but they keep hinting at it. That's my problem. Don't hint at it at all, then, if that's not even what the film is about. So the emotional climax of this movie, for me, is after Rita tries to fly the helicopter and Tom Cruise kills himself, and in the next life, Tom Cruise does it by himself, right? Because he doesn't want to risk Rita anymore. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the emotional climax, and you want something above that that tries to tell a story about how humanity is about the memories we have. Yeah, exactly. Like you have, um, you have like, again, just, just hints of, uh, of, of experience of like what this character is going through and his actions are really just more in service to moving a plot forward, uh, about action, about getting, about, uh, getting to his objective rather than like, I kind of, I kind of would like to see another version where this guy just can never, never accomplishes what he wants to. He keeps living the same day regardless. Even if he does kill the creature at the end, he still has to do it again. That is so not the uh, narrative they would have chose for like the summer blockbuster they were hoping it would yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. I like your idea, but like there's just no way that movie ever gets made. <laughs> I actually, And I absolutely agree. That's why I would rather they just not even bring up much of it at all. Okay. Like you don't, like I don't care that much about their relationship because they don't, they do, uh, like uh, Cages and Rita's, because they don't really give a lot of like information about it. There's not a lot of connection. It's all about the, it's a, it's a buddy comedy. I have yeah. a note that I find the romance between them to be completely unnecessary and out of place. It's like my least favorite part of I the don't movie. understand it. What was the kiss for? That was so dumb. I wrote the same thing. Yeah, if they didn't kiss at the climax of the movie, I think it would have been 10 times better. Yeah. Because the most emotion that he gives is when they're at the farmhouse and she's about to get in the helicopter and he's like, I wish I didn't know you. Yeah. yeah. Which to me doesn't mean like I'm romantically in love with you. It just means like you're a big part of my life. You're the person I've seen over these thousands of lives, but we don't need to be romantically involved. And then they gave the kiss at the end. I'm like, this I don't sucks. like that yeah. one bit. She's known, she's known him for a day. It'd be one thing if like he kissed her and she just doesn't, is like has this look of shock. But the fact that she kissed him is stupid. Cause that would have been funny. Yeah. In one of the lives he kisses her. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. That would have been hilarious. Yeah. If he was like, like said so, he's like, okay, don't do that next time. Like, yeah, I would have like, yeah, I would have loved it. Like, or he like, kissed her and she pulled a gun on him or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the first time they meet, like, what do you want? And he just went up and like, good morning, and then like <laughs> slapped her on the butt or something. Yeah, it's like. Oh so God. McKinnon, you mentioned that uh, he decides to kind of do the whole get through the beach on his own, get to the barn, and then get to the dam. Mm -hmm. I think that there, and I hate doing this because this isn't like you know that channel Cinema Sins that I yeah. hate. That brings up a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. Uh -huh. and it doesn't ruin the movie in any way. It's, it's just nitpicking. Yeah. It's just a guy who has nothing better to do. I actually think I found a plot hole in this that actually doesn't make any sense. So we see Rita get killed on the beach several times mm -hmm. uh, when he is not like working with her. Or maybe it's just one time when she gets blown up. But anyways, Rita dies on the beach when he's not aware of this power yet. I so, don't think we do. Yeah, she uh, she's like staring at him like on the top of like a dune and she gets blown up by... Right, so if he wasn't there, she wouldn't be distracted. So it's conceivable yeah. that she survives. Oh, uh, okay. Because when we do see her, it's because she's distracted with him. Okay, that might be true. My idea of the plot hole is like she dies on the beach if he doesn't intervene because yeah. there's a bunch of other times where he like goes in and 
saves her from aliens that are popping in like right. a, a derelict so if he ship. did kill the omega she would be dead forever yeah and that's what i that's what i was thinking i was like so what yeah what happens if yeah. the omega is at the dam and you he could, does kill it yeah he's essentially now rita is dead forever you could which argue is what he's avoiding the entire movie yeah maybe you could argue that his emotional distance after losing her at the helicopter like when he goes in alone he's just tired of bringing her along and he's giving her up also and then he gets on the helicopter and goes to the dam alone because he's given up maybe, maybe. i just thought like maybe i don't that think that's what the, it is i'm just saying it's conceivable i just thought it was a little it kind of doesn't make sense for his character he spends so much time going through all these steps on the beach to keep her yeah. alive and then to essentially go through a timeline where she conceivably would die yeah. on the beach because if he wanted to protect before. her then the day of the battle he would handcuff her to her bed or something and then go into battle that'd be a great her. scene <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Calvin, what do you think of that? Because I, I don't usually like to get into plot holes and stuff, but that was just one that I thought of. I was like, do you have an excuse for that? Or am I just like uh, diving too deep into that? Yeah, I don't really see it as a, as a plot hole because um, you can you can make the same case every time that she dies if he goes on to the Omega. Um, I don't think that uh, it, it, the only way that she lives for sure is with him uh, t- getting her off the beach. So I have this theory about the helicopter, actually, and I want to tell you about this, Calvin. Mm. So when Tom Cruise gets in the helicopter and he goes to the dam, he doesn't bring any food with him. So I actually think he's going to kill himself. That's absolutely true. You think so? Yep. Just okay. like Up. Just like Up. Okay. <laughs> it's, like it is a, it's basically a rip off of Up straight. straight <laughs> up. Blatant rip off of Up. <laughs> so there's some, if, I don't know if we passed this already, but I had an interesting thought about this. Um, when he's living each day over and over, I think it's very interesting in this movie that they don't focus on him learning about J-Squad. But by the end of the movie, he convinces them all to go with him. He's like, he knew my, my second grade math teacher, but they skip over all of that. They don't send any time of Tom Cruise talking to J-Squad. But you, you figure he learns about the, the J-Squad through all these lives. I just think it's really smart that they don't spend time on that because that would really drag the movie down. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Like it. it- because the movie kind of tricks you into thinking mm-hmm. we're watching every day that he goes through, yeah. but there's hundreds of days that we didn't see yeah. where he is getting to know J-Squad. Like even a, the couple times he comes back and, you know, he's on the tarmac and the Master Sergeant Farrell is like kicking him to wake up and everything. And he goes in and he sneaks up and like covers up the card game the way they don't have to eat the yeah. eat the cards and he like winks at J-Squad and stuff. Like we didn't see him like mess that up a couple times or like learn everything about them. So it's like imply that he had had several days where he had gotten to know them so yeah, yeah i agree with you it's like that's one of the part of the pacing i really like this movie is we don't need to see every day yeah you miss a lot of days where he learns about all the the route that they need to take to get off the beach and stuff they right. don't they don't hold your hand through all of it which i think is smart ah i kind of disagree i think they hold their, your hand a lot there are some things that they fill gaps in mm-hmm. um but it's really just moments it's not like the whole thing i'd rather they just don't have like the uh the doctor character and like they just kind of figure out like through trial and error where this this thing is. Okay. Um, just the by themselves. I don't really like the the scientist. Yeah. And yeah. The fact I don't that, really like him very and much. And the little like beacon thing, like how they have to go to the the. Not uh, in the book, by the way. I I had imagined I figured, so. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one's like it's literally it's really really contrived. Yeah. It's really, it's it's like a it's like a I I don't know. Yeah, that one's just not not good at all. And it's just I, well, another, in, like, adding more screen time, yeah. another bit of an adventure. In the book, there's no talk about the the Omega and the Alpha. I had there's read that, no, that it's not a thing. It's created yeah. just for the film. So because they added complication to the movie, they had to add the scientist to give exposition, I assume. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, in, in, the, in the book, though, it's like they all have these beacons, right? Like, 
Like that that's the what the alphas are, they're they're beacons. They have they're to- described as mimics that you just know they're a little different. Like they don't they don't look giant and blue like they do in the movie. They, right, they just, but they're called beacons. Like that's what I read the synopsis. Yeah, is. like they they refer to them as beacons. Yeah, the 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 people who live each day over and over and over only know that they're different because they've killed you know thousands of mimics. Are there multiple people who live every day? No, it's it's oh. the the main character, the guy and Rita. Okay, so it's funny. The main character is a is a he's a Japanese soldier, and they're fighting a war in China. And his last name is Korea. Oh. Which is wild, <laughs> <confusing>. I think. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love like a lot of times with like, uh, like Japanese media, especially like the, when they make up names, mm-hmm. especially last, last names, like how they're vaguely reminiscent of, uh, of that language, like Vratasky. Yeah. It's ridiculous. That is such a ridiculous name. Yeah. Also, it's the, so funny though. The audiobook is written, is read by an, an American reader and it's, it's supposed to be about a Japanese guy and it. Right. There's no accent or anything. It's very jarring. (laughs) (laughs) So we kind of talked about how we don't like the doctor, but I think that actually leads into one of the best sequences in the movie where they have to go and confront the general again. And uh, like they finally get out. They get like the little device they need. And, uh, you know, Rita's like, well, what do we do now? He's like, I don't know. I've never gotten this far, which is different than kind of the rest of the movie where it's like it feels like this has happened over and over again. And so I like that eventually it's like the viewers finally caught up to Cage and Rita where now that we we're also kind of in this area where, oh what is going to happen next because it it feels like we've known what's going to happen next because it keeps playing out the same way so i actually like that sequence a lot and then of, of course it leads into like them doing it over and over again and kind of figuring it out but it does feel like when cage gets like the blood transfusion and he's like i'm out i'm out of the game you know he's like we have to do it for real now and that's when like the stakes of the movie go way up i think i think it becomes much more interesting it's it's like kind of fun up until then but then it's like now the the drama's really set in knowing like this is your last life like this is and you know leads into the ending of them like going to the louvre do you guys kind of feel that at all or was it like eh, you know i kind of would have liked them playing with time more i like the playing with time i think the climax of this movie sucks so i know when they wake up in the hospital and the blood transfusion is gone i kind of check out of this movie because i think the climax is very boring yeah totally agree the it's, whole the, it's it's a different it's a different movie now. Yeah, the the whole movie's like exciting beach battle where they're living over and over, and the the action's captivating the whole the whole time, and then all of a sudden it's just two people outside of their suits trying to get to the Omega by running. Like, yeah, then it turns into Ocean's Eleven, and I don't care about that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, I, I don't like it. Yeah, Ocean's all. Eleven with no fun or charm. Well, that sucks because Ocean's Eleven is all fun and charm. Exactly. So, That's literally like what I mean. Yeah. There's there's one thing I always <laughs> wish that they did with the climax. So when Tom Cruise is living each day over and over, there's the guy in the dropship who's like, hey, something wrong with your suit. There's a dead guy in it. And I really wish when they were in the ship going to the Louvre, if Tom Cruise told him like, hey, there's something wrong with your suit. There's a dead guy in it. Oh, that would have been great. It would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! I yeah. don't think it would have fit the tone of the moment, but it would have been really funny. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, but yeah, not of the moment, but it would have been indicative of the movie. And it's because they kind of lost. They kind of lost what they were yeah. when they decided to go that at way. At that point, the joke stopped. As soon as they wake up after the blood transfusion, there's there's like not another joke. I think. Yeah, not until the ending. Like when uh, she's like, "What do you want?" Yeah, like, that's it. That's it. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, it probably would crash the the third act if they did put a, a joke in there. But I suppose you're right. I guess I liked it because I was like, you're raising the stakes now, and now we have to kind of take this movie more seriously. But yeah. I guess you're right. It, the like Calvin said, the movie kind of loses itself they just, once they can't re relive yeah. the day. They yeah. just barrel through like a thousand of these mimics. They get to the Louvre, and then they just have to run past a couple of the alphas. Like, yeah, that's yeah. it. They never took they never took itself seriously, and if it took itself seriously, it should have gone down the the philosophical route, not the action route, and that's the problem I have with it. See, I would have gone the other way. I would have leaned into the action and just killed the philo- the philosophy. Yeah, and I I think I would have done that too if my goal was to make a, a summer blockbuster. Exactly. Yeah, and that's weird that they didn't do that. But yeah, I just think that like there's this really could have been. Um, one of the best movies of all time because of the way that they decided to treat an action mm. an action movie. So, um, but yeah. It's interesting in the book, they, uh, Rita and the guy, they end up having to fight each other because they have to end the loop somehow and they're like, one of us needs to go. Because they're also beacons. Right. Oh, so I like that a lot. The guy ends up killing Rita. She, she dies at the end. But oh. they're so good at fighting because she's gone through so many of these repeated loops and he's gone through so many repeated loops that they have to, they battle each other for hours because they're so good at fighting. Dang, I like that idea a lot. So it would have been interesting if they did something similar, like after Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt are out and they have to like battle through the Louvre to get to the Omega, they're just war machines just like mowing down uh, mimics. That could have been a neater way to go. But like you're saying, that wouldn't be a way to make a movie that's trying to say something. That's how you make a summer blockbuster. Right, exactly. But it would have been more like believable if they had included something like that here in a way that a lot of other movies, the mythologizing around characters like in The Harder They Fall, we did that a little while ago. And those characters are just not even looking. They're just shooting guns at windows and people are dying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's... It's really that's, stylized and like, yeah. actually ends up not being fun because of that. <laughs> yeah, it's super cheesy. But here, where we know that they have lived thousands of days of this exact sequence and they don't even need to look because they've just like like the same way when uh tom cruise or when cage uh closes his eyes and fights that one dude like um i like uh, that part yeah he's just like okay i'm gonna close my eyes and you do whatever you want and he just like throws him into the wall and Which, that's, that's amazing and we get we get like so much out of like he's just like this is a day to him this isn't interesting this is something that has happened so many times that he doesn't even care about the substance of what's happening i love that he says he's like do we have to do this today (laughs) yeah so over it yeah which is something interesting i I keep bringing up the book but it's really interesting that in in the book the focus is that he's training getting better like his reflexes are improving stuff like that whereas in the movie it's just him living the same monotonous day over and over do we really have to do this again guys like that kind of thing Right, which is an interesting difference, yeah. and I think the exasperation is what leads into the what leads into the comedy. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's, that's, that's why that stuff works. There's no comedy in the book at all, which is really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to see like how you can adapt something like that. Yeah, you know, like it's something that is not it's supposed to be comedic, mm-hmm. and then this has like a lot of comedic bits in it. I, I like that you can take inspiration from something you don't have to like. Like Zack Snyder has to like take something like the source material and literally make it like frame for frame in the movie adaptation. Well, he's so t- I like the idea yeah. of like taking the heart of something or, or the concept of something and then working it into like a, a different sort of story. Totally. Yeah. So I want to move into final thoughts now. And uh, McKenna, how would you rate this one? Uh, how many fiery crucibles do you give this? Oh boy. Uh, I, I know I keep saying the book or whatever, but the listening to the book made me appreciate this movie a lot more than I did before. Uh, like hmm. I said, the book doesn't have any comedy. There's not a whole lot of life 
in it. it it's more like the, the Halo books. I know I've talked about those before. I've been reading the Halo novels, and they're more military-focused. Whereas the movie, it's there's military, but it's not like hoorah kind of kind of movie. You know what I mean? It's funny. It's there's a lot of good pacing, and it works really well for me. So I'll I'll give it n- nine nine point seven crucibles. Wow, F- fiery crucibles. That's, even that's amazing. It's a big score. It loses points only because there's just there's stuff about Emily Blunt that I really don't like in this in this movie at all there's there's one line that she delivers that i really like it's when they're at the farmhouse and tom cruise asks for more time to like look around for stuff and she's like fine 10 more minutes then i'm killing you that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the only good. line in this movie i think that she delivers well at all oh okay i think she's kind of a scene stealer but that's well, okay you also don't like tom cruise in this movie so no i i said i do like tom cruise <laughs> i just think you could have cast adam scott and it would have been really good when you said that i thought you were gonna say adam sandler Oh boy! No. Imagine, yeah. Can you movie? imagine that. <laughs> that movie is a banger. If Adam Sandler is in yeah, it wouldn't be Bill. It wouldn't be Bill Paxton. It'd be like, oh, uh, like, uh, yeah, it would have been Steve Buscemi. Oh, <laughs> Steve Buscemi, yeah, <laughs> or David Spade or something. Oh man, with the yeah, that whole like '90s SNL cast in this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just grown-ups, but yeah. Yeah, oh, Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> I hate that idea. <laughs> it would have just been Edge of Sandler. Oh, <laughs> uh, Calvin, what do you what do you give this movie? What do you think of it? Uh, so to me, it's it's um, it's so close to being utterly brilliant, um, genre defying, boundary breaking, uh, but it falls back into it, the same tropes of what they were looking for. And they, you know, we need to make our money back, and it's a and it's a Hollywood action thriller blockbuster. So it's very good. It's very intelligent. Um, in some parts, there's heart and depth that it hints at. But overall, it's just a solid like seven point four. You know, I didn't even bring up uh, bring up the stats. This was uh, this was a hundred seventy eight million dollar budget, and it made three hundred seventy point five million. So this is it was successful financially, but it was not the big hit they were hoping it was going. It was not what I was thinking it yeah. would be. Yeah, I technically it considered a, a flop. Yeah, for for that kind of budget, you're expecting to like hit high hundred million so the fact that it only reached 370 it's almost like people didn't know what this movie was because they kept changing how they marketed it (laughs) calvin do you like action movies like as action movies go does this rank well yeah absolutely because it's uh it's it's action it's fun um but it's also just not for the 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 point of entertainment it doesn't hit the philosophical note that you were hoping for yeah exactly okay like yeah so if i were just to look for pure action I just want I I don't like action because there's no humanness in it. It's just the idea of hinting at human elements to make it believable to a human audience, but we don't actually care about whether these are people or not. They are just ideas happening in a linear fac- uh, fashion. Mindless action like Infinity War doesn't strike a chord with you. No. Okay. There's no emotion in it. Um well, I like this movie a lot. I don't think it like you said, I think it kind of teases the idea of like deeper meaning and like answering real questions but i don't think it needs to be that i'm entertained throughout this whole movie and i think at the end of the day that's what most movies need to do they need to be entertaining so i i like this one a lot it's like i said i talk about the pacing i like the performances and i love the visual effects and the practical effects those are like hit all the notes for me so yeah i put this at like a eight out of ten fiery crucibles i like this one a lot i was glad uh, i was glad we got around to this one this is like on mckinnon's list of favorites so yeah, I'm surprised that this is actually higher than the humans for you. <laughs> See, that's a tough one because we we've talked about how like that movie only gets better to me. I know what this movie is by watching it like one or two times. I don't know 
everything that the humans is by one viewing, which is why I know deep down it's a better movie than this. I just, on one viewing, I can't give it like a, a 10 out of 10, you know? I know. You just got to start using decibels. <sighs> I think this movie gets better and better for me, even though I know everything that's going to happen. I think it gets better. Just because I have so many memories watching this movie with my wife and other people mm. laughing at all the, the funny lines and stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think with that, uh, we're, we're closing this one out. And uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for joining us again, McKinnon. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Happy to be here. And uh, you can find our podcast on any platform that you listen on, like Spotify or uh, Apple Music. Uh, you can also reach us at now this is podcasting 100 at gmail.com. We also upload all these to uh, YouTube. We, I like checking the comment section. So if you have suggestions on stuff we can do in the future, tell us what we did, uh, tell us what we did right, tell us what we did wrong. Uh, all comments are welcome. And uh, with that, I would just want to say thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting. <laughs>